How are we doing today, church? All right, a few of you are doing good. I'll ask again, how are we doing today? You know, I, I don't know about you, where, where are my early risers in the room? Like, you could get up four or five in the morning, no problem. That, that is you. Amazing, amazing people. Where are the late risers? Like, if you had no alarm, you'd sleep until 11 or 12. Oh, yeah. And where are the balanced people who live healthy lives that get up around 7 or 8 in the morning like normal? Yeah, okay. I, I'm messing. I'm messing. Um, I actually, uh, so, so anything before 7, I have to set my alarm for, right? I, I got to do the alarm before 7. I'm good at 7, but, but before that, I got to set the alarm. And so I, I, of course, almost every day have it set. And today, I, I woke up before the alarm. This was amazing. I woke up, you know, at five whatever in the morning before the alarm hit, and I was I was just like so impressed. This is incredible, and um, and I was awake, like awake, awake. You know, when you wake up and you're just totally awake, like I don't need coffee, awake, that type of awake, and um, and and I was really excited about today. I still am, by the way. It's not like I'm not, but um, was really excited about today. And, um, and, and, and what God was going to do and what we're going to be doing. I received, um, well, I got a question. Who likes change in the room? Anybody actually like change? I, I actually do. I enjoy change. Who are the anti-change people? Keep it all the same. Yeah. All of the anti-change people, you're actually somewhat liars, okay? Let me just tell you that straight out from the beginning. Because if you only had ever had McDonald's, and then I suggested to you that we could go to a steakhouse and eat a really nice steak, I think you'd be okay with that change. You see? So you only like certain types of change, right? But, um, but, but a lot of things changed this weekend. Um, missionary Ted Olbrook, who was going to be with us today, uh, late this last week, came down with covid and, um, and so he's like, not going to be able to make it. I'm like, okay, change number one. And, um, and, and so that was okay. Be praying for him and his wife. They're doing okay, but, um, but you can pray for them. And then, um, and, and so I was thinking, all right, well, I, I, I'll just move what my plan was for next Sunday a week forward. Like, no problem. And, and next Sunday, I was planning on starting in Psalm, in the book of Psalms. And we're going to go into the first chapter of Psalms. And, and I had it. I had the preaching ready to go. It was all set. And in the first service today, I'm standing right here in front. And my wife, who just prayed, prayed in our first service as well. And, and she started praying and talking about this idea that so often we find ourselves in a place where the answer that we're looking for hasn't come yet. And immediately it comes to my mind a verse in scripture related to that. And, and let me tell you, that, that happens a lot. I mean, the more and more that you're in the Bible and reading scripture and studying scripture, you naturally think of scriptures for different things and when people say different things. And so um, th that's pretty normal. But when this particular verse came to my mind this morning, a minute before I'm going to come up here and preach, I had a sense from the Lord that he was telling me, you're going to preach on that and not your originally planned message. And that doesn't happen very often. But let me tell you, I had no time to prepare because there were literally 60 seconds left until I had to stand up and do it. So my preparation for this third service today is the first two services, all right? That, 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 that's how it's gone today. And then by the time we get to our last service, it should be amazing. The message should be incredible. Um, but I, I really have this sense 
that the Lord wants to give a specific word to some people today, and 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 it's gonna um, hit you right where it needs to hit you. And I, I I don't have a lot of you know a fluff or a lot of special stuff to it. We're, we're just gonna kind of kind of go through this and. And, and I'm going to present it to you, and may the Lord use it uh, to bless your life. And um, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is what's called one of the minor prophets. We have major prophets and minor prophets in Scripture. Uh, the major prophets, their books tend to be bigger, so it's like Jeremiah and Isaiah, Ezekiel, um, and others. And then the minor prophets, their, all their books tend to be a little bit smaller, um, you know, just a few chapters long. In fact, the book of Habakkuk is only three chapters, so it's a little hard to find. If you want to find it pretty easy, you go to the beginning of the New Testament, which is the book of Matthew, and then you just go back a few pages. It's five books back from Matthew. So five books from the end of the New Testament. That's an easy way to find it, And uh, but we're going to be in there. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1 is, I'm going to read it. It's not on the screen. Our, our team did an amazing job of getting the verses on the screen real quick in our first service. I only gave them a few minutes to do so. But, but for chapter one, I, I just want you to really kind of just listen to it. I mean, if you want to read along, you can in your Bible, no problem. And if you got digital Bible on your phone, open it up. I'm in the New Living Translation today. And, um, and, and I'm just going to read through it. And then when we get to chapter two, we'll have it up on the screen. As you can tell from your bulletin, Psalm 1 is planned. We'll do Psalm 1 chap, uh, next week, okay? And uh, it should be like extra anointed next week since I have two weeks to work on it. It'll be fantastic. All right. Habakkuk chapter 1. Somebody just say with me, speak to me, Lord. I really do believe that the Lord has changed everything today because he wants to give a specific word to some people in here. And, um, and, and speak something that needs to be heard for your life. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. Now right now in verse 2, it starts actually with what's called Habakkuk's complaint. He complains about something. Watch what he says. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Has anybody in the room ever felt like God doesn't listen? Yeah, we don't have to over-spiritualize the thing. If Habakkuk said it in the Bible, it's okay to admit to it, all right? So there are times where we go through where we go, God, are you even listening to my prayers? Are you even paying attention to what I have been saying? I've been asking for this and nothing is happening. But do you, you do not listen. Violence, he says, is everywhere I cry. But you do not come to save. So not only do you not listen, you don't show up to the situation and do anything about it. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. You know, when I read these words of Habakkuk, I, I, I think two things today. Number one, 
a lot of what he says sounds like a lot of what is happening today, right now in the world. And, um, and, and, and I can relate to that. I can relate to the reality that seems like wickedness is increasing, that justice is decreasing, that the righteous people are very little compared to the wicked and evil things that are happening. And so we could say that in general, but, but this word today is not simply about the general idea, but specifically what you might be facing, what you are going through today, what you might have been going through for the last week or the last month or the last years of your life. And, and you're seeing like there's no way out, like the Lord is silent, like he's not responding. And this is what Habakkuk is facing. So we get to verse 5 in chapter 1, and the Lord replies, and he says these words, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. And then watch what he says. For I am about, I am doing something. I said it wrong. I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Here, this is interesting because here's a back end going saying, God, you don't even listen. God, you're not even responding. And God's like, listen, Habakkuk, I am doing something right now that even if I told you about it, you wouldn't believe it. So you, you think I'm silent, but, but let me tell you, the plans I have are far greater. Everybody say it with me, far greater far greater than anything you can imagine. Now, some of you are going, okay, that was for Habakkuk. Is that for me? Yeah, let me affirm this real quick. Isaiah chapter 55, where the Lord says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways, my thoughts are higher than yours. The ways of God are always, everybody say always, always far beyond our ways and anything that we can understand or imagine. And so this is the declaration of God. But, but I want you to see where God goes right now. Because remember, Habakkuk is complaining to God because everything is horrible. And so God's response to Habakkuk is, I've got this big plan, but if I told you about it, you wouldn't even believe it. So then what the Lord proceeds to do is he gives Habakkuk part of the plan. Part of the plan. Everybody say it with me, part of the plan. And it starts in verse 6. Watch what he says. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. Okay, can we just stop right there for a second? Habakkuk has already been complaining that things are bad. He's already told God, you don't listen. You don't come to save, and God's like, fine, I'll tell you part of the plan. The Babylonians who are horrible, evil people are on their way. Wait, 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 wait a minute. I thought the plan was to make things better. What is going on? And watch what he says. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. 
on they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. Can you imagine for a second if you go to God in prayer and say, God, I don't understand what's going on. My wife is sick. My kids are all doing bad in school. I'm fighting with my boss. Lord, it seems like you're not listening. It seems like you're not answering. And God finally answers, says, I've got a bigger plan than you can imagine. You're going to get fired. You're going to be living on the street. Life is going to be horrible. I'd be like, wait a minute. Maybe I shouldn't have prayed. You know, like, maybe I shouldn't have asked God to respond. Like, what is, what is going on? And what you will realize here, and this is actually really important to understand, and I, I, I can't go through the entirety of the book of Habakkuk, but what you realize is happening is something very important. But before I say that, we got to read Habakkuk's second complaint, his response after this. In verse 12, he says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. He's literally saying everything has been horrible. God, it seems like your plan is to destroy us by the Babylonians. That's what this is looking like. How in the world is that your plan, God? I mean, like, good plan. Your people come and pray. It's like, I'm going to destroy you. That's what's going on. And then he says, oh, Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. Everybody say many sins. But you, God, are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Do you understand what Habakkuk is saying? He's saying, listen, we are a bunch of sinners, but those Babylonians, they're worse sinners than we are. And why in the world would you bring the Babylonians to destroy us? We're bad, but we're not that bad. Like, what's the plan here, God? What are you doing? He says, are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. And they'll say this, these nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? So in summary, Habakkuk is going through a difficult season. He goes to God with his complaint. He tells God, God, you don't listen. God, you don't come out and save. And then the response of God is the Babylonians are coming. And Habakkuk is like, wait a minute. This is getting worse by the minute. This is not what was supposed to happen. Now I want you to be clear on something before I go into the rest of this message. If you read through Habakkuk all the way to the end, all three chapters, short book, you realize something. You realize something really clear. 
that when God mentions the Babylonians in chapter 1, he never, ever states that the Babylonians were going to come and take out Israel. He never said it. What Habakkuk did was he assumed it. He assumed it. He heard part of the plan of God, and he assumed what it meant for him. See, this is the problem. This happens with my kids. Where are the parents in the room? Um, this happens with my kids all the time. I love my kids. I love my kids that are in the room right now listening to me preach. But it happens all the time. And, and I've gotten to the point where we're, we're, I'll, I'll say something. Like I'll give an instruction. I'll be like, hey, get ready. We're going to go in like five minutes or ten minutes. And then the questions that come are normally like, well, why? Or what are we doing? Or where are we going? And I've realized that whenever I answer any of those questions, all it does is it leads to more questions. Anybody notice this? It's like, so where are we going? We're going out. Out where? To eat. What restaurant? And only some get to the what restaurant because some of the other ones are like, why? And I'm like, because we need food? Like, and I'm making life easy for us tonight, and nobody's cooking. So we're going, like, like why? Okay, then what restaurant? And then that's where disaster strikes. Because when you have five kids, or four, or three, two, whatever number, but when it's five, you know, there's usually a split where, where, where if you mention the restaurant, there's like two or three that are like, yeah! And then the other two are like, we're going there. And it's just like, this is going downhill real quick. And then you're at home two hours later and nobody's eating anything, right? That's how it goes. But sometimes I, I do get the sense that the reason why God does not give a response to us is because we are wholly incapable of understanding what he's actually up to. And we're thinking that he is just not talkative or not wanting to do anything. But in reality, he is at work at something. And when you realize, if you jump to chapter 3, where God mentions any nations, he actually mentions other nations and not Israel that are going to suffer. But as it pertains to Israel, they end up saying, and, and Habakkuk declares in chapter 3, God is the God of our salvation. He realizes that the Babylonians were not meant for their destruction, but were actually meant to punish other enemies and for the blessing of the people of God. And that actually ended up happening to the people of Israel later on. This is exactly what happens later on. And, uh, and, and so God is so good to each and every one of us. But I want to come back and I want to focus in right on the first four verses of chapter 2. Because when you are struggling, when you are going through things, and you are going, where is the answer? Where is God in this? What is God up to? What is he doing? We learned a few weeks ago from Job that our first response in difficult times is to worship. Everybody say worship. That must be our first response. But I want you to see what Habakkuk does right at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1. I want everybody to read this verse together with me. What does it say? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. I will wait 
to see. Everybody say, wait to see. Wait to see. What Habakkuk learns right at the beginning is that what he needs to do is he needs to wait. He needs to wait. That is like one of the hardest things for us to do in today's world. It is so difficult to wait. When you go out to eat, you realize this might be you, it might be other people, I'm not accusing anybody, but you go out to eat, you sit at the table, and then the waiter comes and asks you what you want to eat. And they barely give you any time anymore because all the menus are like the the QR code menus, you know? So they're expecting that you've already sat down and looked at it in your first 30 seconds. And, And by the time they show up to our table, I'm going like, Dude, we just like got ourselves situated here, you know, and uh, and so they're like, well, you know, whenever you're ready. And so so then we're figuring out what we want to eat. And then the waiter comes. Right. And and takes the orders, unless it's one of the restaurants where you just go to the QR code, order it online and they just bring it to you. But but they take the order. And after they take it, you got to wait like what? A whole 10 minutes for your food to come. And and those 10 minutes are way too long for some people. So the minute the waiter walks away, everybody in the family, the first thing they do, they start scrolling Instagram, watching YouTube videos, responding to texts. How many have seen entire families sitting on their phones out to eat together? And when I say how many have seen, I'm not talking about you seeing yourself, but if that's you, okay, God bless you. Because there's this thing where it is so hard for us today to just wait. We have to constantly be distracted by something. That it's just impossible to just sit in the moment. You know, and you're like, oh, hi, Dad. You know, hi, brother, what's going on? You know, it's like, this is so awkward. And you go back to your phone, right? Because we've lost this ability to wait. Everybody say the word again, wait. I heard a few months ago a message by a pastor in Oregon, his name, A.J. Swoboda, a theologian and pastor, and he, he talks about the concept of rest and talked about how many of the uh, soldiers that come back from war nowadays are dealing with many, many mental difficulties, things like PTSD and and a whole bunch of other things that are just affecting their lives and and how they actually have the statistics and the studies to prove this that when soldiers came back from earlier wars like World War 1 or World War 2 they didn't have the same number of issues as many of the soldiers have today and the question was why well why did it affect them less than it's affected our modern day people. I mean, war has always been gruesome. It's always been horrible. You see and experience horrendous things, no matter what generation you live in, if you go to war. So what, what, what's the difference? And, and what they came to realize was that in today's world, after a soldier gets off the battlefield, they hop on a plane and they are home about two days later. And so they immediately jump from being on the battlefield and all the horrors and all the difficulties and all the loss and all the pain and everything they've experienced. And two days later, it's like, hey, honey, can you pick up the kids from school? And, and that jump is an impossible jump to make. 
But in previous wars, many, many years ago, we didn't have the planes that took everybody back home in a day. In previous wars, they would actually get on a boat and they would sit on the boat for weeks traveling across the ocean to come back home. In other words, waiting to get home. And while they were on the boat sitting there, they had time to sit in silence and process what happened. They had time to cry. They had time to talk to their fellow service members about all their experiences and the pain they'd gone through and what they had seen. And the crazy part is all the ones that had been with them understood it because they had all lived it. In contrast, you get home two days later nowadays, your wife's not going to understand it. Your kids aren't going to understand it. But in those moments, they're crossing the ocean, talking with people that understood their experiences, that shared those experiences, and they were able to process their pain. And by the time they got home, they were in a much healthier place, ready to enter into their more normal lives. There is power in waiting. And you're going through a difficult situation and you're wondering, how much longer do I have to wait? But I want to tell you that Habakkuk understood this. And he said, I'm going to go to my tower and I'm going to wait until the Lord shows me. Until the Lord shows up, I will wait for him. And he stopped complaining. No, he complained two times before this. But after the second complaint, he goes up and he says, I'm just going to wait. I'll wait until the Lord shows up and does what he wants to do. And then finally, in verse 2, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets, so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. Because this message wasn't just for him. It was a message for others as well. Many of you might have heard this verse in other versions. Write the vision on tablets. Write the vision down so that way it can be run with or the person who hears it can run with. There's different versions of this. And a lot of times we use this in, in, in modern day to talk about how God speaks to us and shows us something. And it's good to write it down. The way I figure it, because somebody asked me, why does God tell him to write it down? The best answer that I can give is because Habakkuk was misinterpreting what God was saying. And so God wanted to make clear that he wrote it down so he wouldn't get it wrong. But what's important is what comes in verse 3. He says this. This vision is for a, what does he say? A future time. This vision is for a, a future time. Wait a minute. I am in the struggle right now. But God says this vision is not about today. And it's not about the moment you're in. But it's about a, a future time. It describes the end, not the beginning. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. Let me just make clear today, and Scripture makes it clear, God is faithful to his word. And when he says something, he will do it 100% of the time. We just sang a song 
at the end of worship that our God is the one who has defeated death, who has the victory, the lamb who reigns. He is the one that has won the victory over all. And when he says he is going to do something by God, literally by himself, he will do it. Does anybody believe that today? It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming. <laughs> if it seems slow in coming. Some of you have been waiting for something for a week and it already feels like forever. But some of you have been waiting for years. And the answer of God seems really slow in coming. He says, if it seems slow in coming, how are we supposed to wait? Wait patiently. Oh, wait, 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 hold on a minute. So there are two different types of waiting then. There is patient waiting and there is impatient waiting. There are two types of waiting. So it's not just waiting. It's about waiting patiently. And that's an important question for your life in the midst of your struggle. Are you waiting? Not are you waiting. You're like, of course I'm waiting. Yeah, of course you're waiting. But are you waiting patiently? What does your waiting look like? Is your waiting filled with frustration and filled with anger and filled with what ifs and filled with doubt? And let me tell you something right now. If it is filled with any of those, I'm not here to accuse you, but I am here to call you to a better way of waiting. And there is a patient way of waiting. If there's a way that I could describe a patient way of waiting, it would be this. It is waiting with peace. That there is peace in your life, peace in your heart, that you know that even though the circumstance is not resolved, even though things are not as they should be, even though everything else is a mess, but I am okay. I am at peace. I trust in the Lord. And when he shows up, he'll show up. When he wants to do what he's going to do, he'll do it. And I trust him to do it at the moment that he wants to do it. And, and he says it here. God says, if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. And then he says this phrase, it will not be delayed. It will not be delayed. A pastor friend of mine from many years ago gave a message on these verses, and um, I heard this, I don't know, maybe three, four, five years ago, and um, gave a message on these verses. And I was in, in a moment of my life, a waiting moment of life, and, and I was sitting in a parking lot of a Denny's. And um, I was sitting there watching him preach this message. He lives in another state, pastors a great church. And, and, and I was just sitting watching him give this message. And at the end of the message, he tells everybody, before I get to this, I'm not going to make anybody do this today. But, 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 but at the end of the message, he gets to the end of the message, and he tells his church, if this is for you, then I want you to get up and run around the room. And uh, I was like, this is crazy crazy. Don't worry. I'm not doing that today. Um, maybe next week. We'll see. But, um, but, but, but I'm sitting in my car in the Denny's 
parking lot. And I'm like, I got to run. And so I got out of my car and I ran like some crazy man. I'm sure all the people in the restaurant are like, who is this random guy running by the windows of my Denny's where I'm eating at? And I ran around Denny's, and then I sent a text to him. I said, I just ran around the Denny's after listening to your message because I knew that that was for me and that God was inviting me into a process of understanding that he always shows up at the right time. And that even for me, even though it appeared to be late, it is never, ever late. God is never late. You're like, but it feels like he's late. He's not late. It just feels like it. And, and let me put it in, in this type of way for you. Because some of us get to this point and we're going, I cannot take it anymore. I am at the end of my rope. And God looks at you and says, no, you're not. No, 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 but, but I can't handle anything more. It is too much for me. You're not done yet. Because God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows there's some things that he's doing with you that you can't even imagine. There's a place that he's taking, to, taking you to that you haven't even thought of. And there's a point in time when he needs to show up, but not a second before that point. Because if he shows up too early, even though for you it feels like it's on time, but if he shows up too early, you miss out on what he's wanting to do in your life. And so you gotta keep waiting, waiting patiently. And I got to tell you today, at 43 years old, and I will tell you the same thing at 50, at 60, at 70, but today at 43 years old, I can look back on every moment of my life where I've been through a waiting season. And in the season, it felt like God was late. But now that those seasons have resolved, I look back and go, God showed up always at the right time. Always exactly at the right time. Isn't that how it goes? Always goes in the movies too, right? Like the, the person that's going to come and save whoever always feels like they're late, but they show up at just the right moment. And the reality is we have a God that knows the exact moment to show up, to come onto the scene, to answer, to respond, because he's got a plan. And that plan that he has developed for you is not a plan he developed yesterday or a year ago, but the plan for your life was developed before the creation of this world. You are already on his heart. And so your waiting season right now, before you get out of it, God already had the plan for it, a gazillion years ago, and he knew exactly what was going to happen, and he knew exactly what he was going to do. And if you would trust him and wait patiently, he will show up in power in your life, and you will realize the goodness of God. But keep on waiting. Come on, somebody. So wait patiently. You know, Jaime right here um, shared a story with me after our first service about a time when, uh, when they fired him from his job. And um, when they fired him from his job, they, they, they paid all his back vacation hours. And so uh, with that money, he decided, you know what? I'm going on vacation. And so he tells his wife, we're, we're, we're going to go on vacation for like three weeks. And I'm like, man, that is the right thing to do. That's great. 
And, uh, and, and so he, he goes on vacation. But before he left, he had a conversation with them and said, hey, I wanted to talk to the vice president and figure out what's going on because they didn't give him a reason for why he was fired. And so um, what happens is, I, I don't remember either, a little before, right after he got on vacation, the vice president calls him and goes, yeah, I, I don't really know what's going on. We're going to investigate this thing. And then... Um, and then they, they, they kind of have their conversations and figure it out. And then he gets phone calls saying, no, no, it was a mistake. You weren't supposed to be fired. You're welcome to come back to work. But I, what I love about Jaime, he goes, yeah, but I'm finishing my vacation first. <laughs> love it. Like, no, no, no. I didn't. You fired me. I got to take the full vacation. And God restored everything. He got his job back where he works to this day. But that's not the only thing that happened. See, he told me at the end of the story that he had racked up 272 vacation hours. By the way, that would work out to about seven weeks of vacation at 40 hours a week. I don't think I even have that much vacation. And so they paid him for all those vacation hours when he was fired, right? That's normal practice. Well, when he comes back into the job, after they had already paid him all his vacation hours, they restored his 272 vacation hours. Yeah. I want your job. Yeah. But, but, but a situation that seemed like such a difficult situation that was a hopeless situation. He decided, I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm not going to get all stressed out. I'm going to take a trip. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to think about what I got to do for my next steps. And then we'll keep on going. And all the time, God was working behind the scenes on his behalf so much that when he comes back, he ends up even more blessed than before and didn't miss anything at all, but instead got more than he had ever had before. And let me tell you, God is setting you up for something greater than you can imagine if you would stop the doubt, the frustration, the anger, stop being your own savior and just start simply waiting patiently on the Lord and you will see what he will do. Verse four says this and I end. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live, what does it say? by their faithfulness to God. The best sign of your waiting is your faithfulness to the Lord. Remain faithful and you will see the hand, the powerful, the mighty hand of God in your life. Would you stand up with me right now? What I wanted to do today was to come and sing the whole song that we sang at the end of worship with a renewed set of eyes, with a sense of the God that we believe in, who has done the work on our behalf, who carries the victory, that we would be a people who honor him for who he is, faithful to him because of who he is and because of what he does. And so I would like us to sing it one more time today because we have a God 
who is entering. And I know that I know that I know that there are people in this room that are in this waiting season. And it's a simple word, but it is God's word to you today. And will you trust Him? Will you wait patiently and know that God's answer is on its way? Not on your timeline, but on His, but His is perfect. And when He answers, you will look back and you will realize how good God is. All the good things that He does and how faithful He is to you. If you believe it, say amen with me. Let's sing this together.